Good morning and welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville Church. If you are visiting with, with us this morning, you're, we'd love to hear from you. You're definitely welcome at any time. There is a card underneath the chair in front of you. It's called a connection card. Fill that out and turn it in either electronically or turn it into the box in the back. And that's also where we take our offerings as well. If you showed up at church this morning wanting Sunday school and you didn't get it, then uh, there was donuts and ministry stuff over in the Fellowship Hall gym. And that's where we had tables set out where uh, just to display the different ministries of the church. And we really encourage everybody here to get involved in in some capacity. Just look for a ministry to be a part of. And that's how the body works. That's how the church works is to be about ministry within this community and the world as well. Okay, so we are at uh, we're going to on part two of CF study uh, about elders. And if you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So if you're here today, you're here on a special day. CF's going to cover seven verses all in one day. (laughs) So you'll watch a miracle happen before you. He will get it done. That's what he said he was going to get it done. Lord willing... This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are on outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. And I just thank you for instruction like this, instruction that is in detail for us to know, for us to follow. And I pray, Lord, that we as a body, as a church, will do that, that we seek after you, that you live through us, and that we may be a light to this community. We say this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Just stay with that passage in uh, First Timothy. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And uh, We're doing a study. If you wasn't here last week, we broke out and we're doing a study on elders because we're we're in the process of selecting elders here in the church. And I want to go over the guidelines where people had an understanding of uh, what elders are and how they're selected and such. And if you'll notice in your bulletin this morning, there's a little slip of paper, and that is uh, for you to where if you would like to put someone... Uh, as a recommendation for an elder, you can do so and drop it in a box in the back. But I asked people in the early service to, you know, there's no rush to do it. Make it a matter of prayer. It may take you a week or two or more even. But uh, you got this whole month to submit a name if you'd like to. If you don't want to, that's fine. You don't have to. But if you have someone that you think would be a, a good elder in the body, submit that name and they'll be put under review and uh, go through the process. So 
We're going to look today at the qualifications of an elder, or what does it take to be one, and uh, have a look at that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin. Father God, we, we thank you for your goodness and love toward us, for your grace, and, and we do, Lord. We remember you for what you've done for us, and we reflect upon that, and we don't ever want to take our salvation for granted, Lord. We want to realize and understand the sacrifice that you made and that even though we're un, unfaithful, you remain faithful and you're consistent. Uh, and that's what keeps us. And we're grateful, Father, for your faithfulness to your people. And Father, help us to approach these scriptures today and understand them. I pray, Father, that as I instruct that you would keep me from error, help me to explain it clearly and accurately, and that your people can receive it and put it to use in our life to serve you. And so, Lord, I ask this of you, and I pray this of you in Christ's name. Amen. Begins right here in the first verse, says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop. Now, in this translation, they use the word bishop. Some will say overseer. So you'll probably have one or the other. This is a different word. The word here is episcope. And then it's spelled E-P-I-S-K-O-P-E. Uh, but it, it's the same thing as an elder. Every, four basic terms used for elder. That'd be elder, bishop, um, overseer, and shepherd. Those were common titles that were used uh, for the elders in the church. And so in this one here, he uses the word for overseer, or one that oversees the church. But he makes an interesting statement. He said, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that word desire is an interesting word. The word is origo, O-R-E-G-O, very simple word, origo. It means to stretch yourself out, to reach out. And the idea behind the word is this, that you have drive or motivation for something. So when he talks about a man having a desire to be a bishop or an overseer, an elder, he's got an internal motivation for it, an internal drive for it. There's something propelling him for that. And yet... When you look at the world around us today, sometimes that is all the reason to not put someone in, in a position. Because a lot of times I've heard people say, I don't want a guy to be a cop that wants to be a cop. I don't want a guy to be in charge that wants to be in charge. Because usually that's a not a good thing. But in the context in which it's given here, the desire is not a personal desire. It's not a desire for personal greatness. It's not a desire that seeks position, praise, power, or popularity, but it is a desire or an ambition, if you will, that is not self-centered, but it is an ambition or drive and desire to do what God wants done. That's what it is, a burden to see the work of God go forward. That's the desire that the person has to have. The inner motivation to do that, to want to see the work of God go forward. The reason being is if a person does not have the drive or the inner desire to do it, when, when it gets tough, they're gonna back away from it. Or when it gets hard, they're gonna compromise with it. 
And the thing is, when you're in a position of leadership in the church in particular, you, you can't compromise on certain cardinal truths. You can't, there's a lot of flexibility in some things, but in the cardinal central doctrines of the faith, you can't compromise in those areas. You've got to stand strong. And one of the great detriments in the Church of America today is the church continually caves in to the pressure of culture, the pressure of popularity, the pressure of whatever the new thing is. And the word is, the church must adapt. The church must accommodate. The church is a standard, folks. God is a standard. God sets the standard, not culture, not man. Man is a depraved, sinful being, and his direction is always going to be down. His direction is always going to be down. So what you see in culture, you're going to see the constant erosion of culture and the increasement or the increasing influence and rise of evil in a society, unless there is a spiritual awakening in that society and people awake to that and you start seeing uh, the Spirit of God move across people and, and change comes about. But apart from God, you will not stop culture. You will not stop man. You will not stop evil or sin. The only thing that can do that is the power of God. And so a person in this position of overseer must be a person that seeks the exaltation of God, the edification of the saints, and the evangelism of the lost. That's the goal. That's the purpose of this leader. He has to have a desire for that, that he wants to see God lifted up, that he wants to see believers growing into faith, and he wants to see lost people coming to faith in Christ. That's the desire that he has to have. So he says, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he's desiring a good work. So it's not an ego-driven thing. It is a God-driven thing. This is how it works, folks. God should be the one that puts that desire in that man. It should be God that puts it in there. And then that be should become evident to the people in the congregation. And then the people say, that guy right there demonstrates what we, what we seek or what the scripture reveals as an elder. Not what I want, not what's popular, but what the scripture says, that's what he exhibits. Now you're going to have guys in here or men in here that fit every qualification of it, but they will not sense that God has called them to do that, that God has given them a desire to do it. And that's perfectly fine. Because God's not going to do that everyone. But the idea is that there's an inward revelation and an outward confirmation. And then it is brought before God, and we hope God brings the right people that are needed. That's what he's talking about there. He said, a bishop must be blameless. Well, shut your Bible. We're done right there, man. We're done. That's it. There can be no elders in this church because you've got to be blameless. I want to see a show of hands of the blameless men that have wives with them in the congregation. Those wives will check them on this, man, I promise you. They'll grab that hand and put it down. It's not you. No, there's not a, there's not a one of us in here blameless. What blamelessness is talking about, folks, it's not talking about perfection. Because there is no perfect man that has walked this earth but one. And that was Jesus Christ. 
He walked a perfectly blameless, sinless life. And what happened to him? They killed him. They killed the only blameless, innocent man that ever walked on earth. He was crucified. And everyone joined in in the process and hardly gave approval to it. So what does he mean when he says blameless as it's used here? It means this. The man has a general conduct that is in line with godliness. That is, the idea of blameless means that you cannot put blame to him. There's no open sin in his life. There's no area in his life that's glaringly obvious that you can say, that guy shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be in that position. It means that one cannot bring a charge against him. He should be growing in the faith. He should not have uh, conduct unfitting and he always ought to recognize there's room for improvement and he strives to improve himself. He's on that upward path, if you will. That is the idea behind blameless. It is, it is the one that is striving for Christ-like character and spiritual maturity. He says, also he says, the husband of one wife. Well, that right there tells you that it has to be a man, all right? has to be a man. And that bothers a lot of people when you say that because people will sit there and say, oh, you know, that's oppressive, uh, woman-hating Christianity and all this other nonsense. And uh, I've, I see it all the time. Matter of fact, I get emails about it, uh, anonymous from Leaping Frog and all these other weirdos out there that you don't have no clue who this person is with these ideas and stuff. But folks, let me tell you this. God's design for the church has always been male leadership. That's just biblical. And it's not a cultural thing because people say, well, it's culture. You got to understand, Pastor Jeff, that back in that day and time, women had a different position in life. Folks, the position of women hadn't changed. Women are still oppressed all throughout culture all throughout the world. Would you agree or disagree with that? Women are the most vulnerable in society. People take advantage of them all the time. Same thing with children. That's never going to change. Women and children tend to suffer more under the oppressive hand of men than, than men do. That's just a fact of life. That's the reality of the sinfulness of man. But when it comes to a relationship with Christ, the Bible tells you that there is neither male nor female. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. So what is that talking about? What it's saying is that in our spiritual relationship with God, there's no difference spiritually between a man and a woman. They have equal access to God, equal worship of God, equal value in the sight of God. But God has assigned roles for His church, and He's assigned roles just like He did in the family. See, in the family, a man and a woman or equal with God, they have different responsibilities. Same thing's true with the church. And God's design is that man be in the position of leadership. And people try to argue and say that it's culture. Well, let's look at the Bible. Just look at chapter 2. Stay right where you are and look at chapter 2, verse 9. It says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, 
but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. That's not a prohibition from a woman looking nice. What it means is that isn't where the priority in life goes. Priority in life goes into the heart. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. It wasn't culture. Look at this. It's creation. He says in verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. It has to do with the created order. And that's God's design and God's purpose. And remember this, it's God's church, not my church. It's not your church. And it's not my place to decide what is more culturally acceptable today or acceptable with society. My responsibility is to rightly divide the word of truth. And the word of truth makes it clear that according to God's created order, he said it is male that's in leadership position. And so that's why it says he must be the husband of one wife. What the words actually say there is a one woman man. That's what it says. And so what it means is he is to be faithful to the wife that he's married to. It means to not have eyes for other women. He's not a flirt. He's not trying to work him a game for a side chick or something in church or whatever. All this nonsense that you see constantly takes place out in the world of the church. You see that all the time going on. He said that isn't to be the case. He is to be a one-woman man. He is to be focused on his woman that he has and devoted to her. A lot of times people use that to say, well, it means that he can't ever be divorced. And what they'll do is they'll use that as the qualification and they'll put someone in a position that's never been divorced, but they aren't a one-woman man and they constantly got eyes for other women. And so what he's saying is this person has got to be devoted and committed to the wife that he has. A one-woman man focused on that. And so then he moves on and he says this. He says, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetousness, or covetous. Um, and so what I've got to do on the rest of this stuff, folks, we just got to go through and understand what does this mean? What are these words? What do I look for when, when, I, when you say, for example, that he's temperate? What is a temperate person? That means he thinks with clear thoughts. He is a vigilant individual. He practices self-restraint. The next word that is used there after temperate is sober-minded. Another way to translate sober-minded is self-control. Or you could put it like this. He takes his position seriously. He takes his relationship with God in a serious manner. He's not flippant about it. He's serious in that relationship. Of good behavior, he has respectable character in the sense that he has order in his life and he is not chaotic in his approach to life. He's not a disorganized person. He's not flustered and constantly uh, overwhelmed by the situations of life. He has good behavior. Hospitable. 
Hospitable means he's a lover of strangers, meaning that someone new or different comes along, he's just as welcoming to that person as he is to his best friend. He's one that would open his home up. He would reach out to other people in need, that kind of stuff. Hospitable means that you'd welcome them into your home. You'd bring them in. So that has a lot to do with character and behavior. Then it says here, not given, well, it says uh, hospitable, it says able to teach. Now, this is the only one that's not a character trait. Able to teach, or some translations say apt to teach, is not character-wise, but it means that he can handle the word with authority. What this tells you is that an elder should be someone that is spiritually mature because he can teach other people about the Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that he has to be an elder that can get up and preach because that is a gift. Teaching is a gift, but he has the ability to teach. He is willing to teach. And that would be an area of like counseling a person or giving them guidance or discipling. It would even be down to those levels. But he has to have the ability to teach. He's apt to teach, available to teach, willing to teach. And it speaks of his maturity in handling the Word of God. He knows the Word of God. And he can handle the Word of God in an, in an accurate manner. He's not some new believer that's kind of shaky with the Word. Verse 3, not given to wine. He's not controlled by alcohol. He's not a drunkard is the idea there. He's got to be able to make clear thoughts and decisions in his life. Not violent. The word for not violent means not a giver of blows, not a brawler. All right. Some people laugh about that, but I've seen a guy punched in church before. And I saw a guy one time at a business meeting invited to take it out into the parking lot to settle it in a church meeting. And uh, so I'm telling you, it's out there. And you don't want this person. You want a person with an even temper. Gentle. Not harsh or unforgiving. You want a person, that's what it says right there, not, uh, but gentle. Uh, gentle means a person that is not harsh or brash. He's willing to listen to other people. Kind in his approach to other people. Not quarrelsome. What does that mean? He is not a contentious person. He has a measure of humility in his life to where if you bring up something to him, he's willing to look at it instead of automatically throwing up a defense or denying it. He's willing to address that issue. And he's willing to exercise humility. And then right before those, there's the one that says not greedy for money. I did those together because violent but gentle quarrelsome, not covetous. He's doing a, a, a structure there, but not greedy for money is pretty self-explanatory. He's going to be around the resources of the church. You don't want someone that's going to be skimming money. He's got to be honest with money. So what would that tell you? He's got to be able to manage money well. That's another thing he's got to be able to do. And then it says not covetous. Covetous means loving of money. He doesn't crave that. That's not his goal for it. He's not a covetous person. One who rules his own house well 
having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? What this one structures up to be is this. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If he can't manage his own home and his own affairs, he can't manage something bigger. That's the idea. In other words, if he's the type of person that has a bunch of debts out in town or he doesn't pay his bills, you don't want him in the church trying to manage the church. If he's got children that are not obedient, children that are not submissive to the Word of God, children that don't go along with the authority in the home, rebellious children, you don't want that. You want one that has his home and his family in, in, in line with God, a godly family. You've got to look at that. Extraneous or extra things in his life, he's able to bring everything in the line. He has a good reputation for that. And then it says, not a novice. A novice would be a new convert. Someone that is not new in the faith. Why? He's got to understand the Word of God. A new convert doesn't. He's going to stumble in a lot of areas. But it also says this. It says, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. The idea there is a young, recent convert might see himself in that position as being more important than he is and use the position to, to lord over people. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. In other words, the community, what does the community think of him? Does he have a good testimony? Now, they may not agree with him, being a believer or whatever, but they'll say this, he's a good man, he's a faithful man. Sometimes they'll say he's a real religious guy. That's a lot of times a word phrase that's used. But he's a person that has a good reputation. He's got a good relationship with people outside the church. And so all these traits that we have here reflect character except the apt to teach, and that's an ability there. And why is that important? It's important for this reason because the, I've got seven critical areas that an elder is responsible for. Number one, elders oversee the affairs of the church. Okay? And so you don't want someone that has gaping holes in character with that. 1 Timothy 5.18, or 5.17, I'm sorry. They're in charge of the prayer ministry and the ministry of the Word in the church, Hebrews 6 and 4. They are servants to the body, 1 Peter 5.2. They are to set good examples, 1 Timothy, or 1 Peter 5.3. They are able to train others, Ephesians 4.11. They, they lift up prayers for the sick, James 5.14. And lastly, they protect the church from heresy or error coming into the church. Acts 20, 28 through 21. We looked at that verse last week. So these are the responsibilities. Elders just exercise their under shepherds. You have, you have Christ is over the church. The church is his bride. And then at each local church body, you have men that are in positions that oversee the affairs of the church as an under shepherd to carry out the will and purposes of God. That's what it's there for. It's protect God's church. It's ensure the church functions rightly. We have a plurality of elders. Why do we have plurality of elders? The function and purpose behind that is if, 
if you got one person in charge and that person gets in a mess, then who's going to be in charge of the church? With a plurality of elders, one of them can mess up. You remove that elder and the other elders can step up and take charge. What's important to do. But those character qualities are there for you to look at. Those are the same character qualities that everyone should have in their life. There's not like an exemption if you're not in that position. Those, those apply to all of us. Okay, but they're given to us as guidelines to check this person, make sure they're they're following these guidelines and make sure they're in line with them and faithful to them. And what we've got is you've got your bulletin and in your bulletin is that little sheet. And the sheet is if you'd like to put nominations in for people, give us some names. That's fine. You can do that. I would I would still recommend you spend time in prayer and think about this and pray over it before you make those uh, decisions. And when you do, just drop them in the box back there. We'll collect them all up and we'll take it from there. But we've got some solid men in this church that can really help the church body and to help, help this church be what it needs to be. And so I ask you to be in prayer and you spend time focusing on that and thinking about it and asking God what he wants. And let God move you, move you in that direction to make those choices. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in prayer, and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness toward us. Father, we pray for your wisdom, for your discernment, and the decisions that are made. We pray, Father, that you'd raise up those men that you desire, that your will be done there, and that we be alert, that we be vigilant, sober-minded, that we be attentive, and that we would make the proper selections, uh, Father that you be honored and glorified through that. Father, I pray for everyone here, especially those that are going through a struggle or difficulty in their life. And Lord, you know exactly what it is. And so I just pray that you bring comfort and strength to them, wisdom and how to handle the situation, and courage to do what you direct them to do. And we pray this in Christ's name, Father. Amen.